episode 11 of Slaytanic Verkast, the internet's only comprehensive chronological retrospective of the world's greatest thrash metal band, the mighty Slayer. Each week, we dissect a track from their back catalogue by playing through the song, analysing the lyrics, and giving a final appraisal. Well, normally, I'm Mo from France, and to my west broadcasting from a meatpacking plant in Glenelg Drive, Old Swimford. It's Dr. Lee Quessence. How you doing, Doc? I'm very well, um, and I'm a bit chilly. Um, I'm going to stick my neck out here and say it's a bit chilly even for me because it's mm. cold outside and it's cold in here. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew it was chilly when I was brushing my tooth earlier on this morning. <laughs> the, just the one. Uh, You've only got the one, haven't you? But it's a particularly wide tooth. Mm-hmm. Uh, it actually completely replaces my entire lower set. Oh God! Um, is that is that why you look so, so weird when I look at your face? Is that the reason that you look so weird? Um, it's the reason that I can't completely close my lower jaw. <laughs> but in any case, I was cleaning my tooth earlier on today, um, and I discovered that the the industrial solvent with which I was cleaning it despite nominally having a freezing temperature of minus seven degrees Celsius, mm-hmm. um, was actually be- be- beginning to become really quite stiff and gelatinous. Oh dear. Um, um, so uh, the reason I'm here um, is, honestly, um, the, temp- the, the ambient temperature um, is low enough that I'm, I'm, I'm no longer under particular risk of putrefaction mm-hmm. um, at this time of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, I, I needed to revisit um, some of my previously um, archived specimens, um, which are in a small in, but industrial strength meat locker, um, which I rent in the refrigerated warehouse. Of course. Um, and just because th- there, are, there are things I need from them. Do you understand? Mm-hmm. I do. I think so. And, and it makes me I shiver need. to think about it. Yes. Please continue. It would make you shiver even more if you were in here because it's really cold. Mm. Do you remember um, when we used to work on a... Now, for listeners that haven't already figured this out, me and the doc are massive nerds. And we used to work on a Doctor Who magazine. And we used to go to a printer in a place called Lye. Um, now, th- And this man had had two teeth effectively he had two teeth the reason he had two teeth was because he never cleaned his teeth and so that all the teeth on his top jaw and bottom jaw had kind of melded into one to make one enormous tooth on each jaw do you remember this doc um who can forget teeth and his teeth who can forget <laughs> keith and his teeth keith, keith, exactly um, keith and his teeth fabulous Absolutely, absolutely horrific. Even by my standards, that was an extraordinary odour, was it not? Well, I thought it was the smell of printing. It was only when when I went into a different printing establishment that I realised, no, that is not the odour of printing, that is the odour of putrefying teeth. I've got two stories relating to that odour. I thought the exact same thing. I thought it was a mixture of chemicals mm. and paper and maybe glue or adhesive or something that he used in, mm-hmm. in, in his print shop until I met him in a different context. Ah. Um, and the same 
and the same smell was still present. Sure, because it was um, emanating from his maw. <laughs> <laughs> um, on another occasion, um, we had occasion, we, we had cause to, to, to buy an old piece of recording equipment from him. Um, very, very old uh, multi-track tape recorder. And it came in the remnants of its original wooden cabinet. And I presume having spent so long in the same house as the fellow in question, mm -hmm. the wooden cabinet had taken on the odour of his teeth. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> the odour was so pervasive. The odour was so pungent and so pervasive that it soaked into wood. That's absolutely fabulous. That reminds um, me of the Seinfeld episode where... Seinfeld buys a car and he just can't rid the car of the smell of the body odor of its previous of the previous owner. <laughs> so Keith's teeth were the maybe the inspiration for Jerry Seinfeld. Absolutely wonderful. Um, I'm in a really, really oh, I would love to think so. I'd love to think I would love to think so. Maybe, maybe, maybe Jerry visited Lie one at some point for a curry. Um, I mean. <laughs> I'm in a really bad mood, Doc. Um, a little peek behind the curtains for the listener. We've delayed this recording twice, as it happens. Um, now, it's not something that, that, that you know that, that we, I would normally talk about, but I think it's really important. The reason we've delayed it is because I've been suffering from a kind of a chronic depression. Um, I have a condition called cyclothymia. Um, it's a form of um, what used to be called manic depression. In modern times, this has been changed to be called uh, bipolar disorder. Uh, cyclothymia is a specific type of bipolar disorder. The only reason I really mention it, I don't want any sympathy. I don't want like worries me bullshit. I just think it's really important I think especially for men to feel comfortable talking about this stuff. We're all human. We all have fragilities and frailties and enough of the bullshit. It's okay to feel sad from time to time. Doc, what do you reckon? Um, I have stuck up for um, metal and horror um, for a very long time, um, quite apart from being something I love there are two contexts um, in which it's possible for people to discuss mental illness mm. um, without shame. Um, I would very much like there to be a time in the future um, where mental illness is as, uh, is as destigmatized mm -hmm. as other serious illnesses are. Yep. Um, I can remember in my young childhood, um, cancer, was not acceptable to talk about. Sure. Um, That's really, I've really witnessed, interesting point, I've yeah. I've witnessed someone saying the word cancer and emptying the room mm -hmm. um, as if they suddenly started singing Filthy Sailor songs or something. Mm -hmm. um, fortunately, within the last 30, 35 years, uh, a significant amount of social progress has been made um, and it's now possible to, to discuss that. Um, mental illness still continues to be as stigmatised as it was I think pretty much in the early part of the 19th century. Mm -hmm. Yep, I think you're right. Um, and you know, for the listeners, uh, I, I have to speak up for the doc here. He may 
only have one tooth. He may have a hook for a hand. His skin may slew off his bones at most inopportune moments, but he is utterly supportive and utterly open-minded when it comes to these kind of issues. God bless you, Dr. Lequescence. I could wish for a day when people can talk about mental illness in terms of it, in terms of the way in which you would speak about a physiological illness, in as much as um, this is something that's wrong with me. With the appropriate treatment, um, I can get better. Um, it will not harm my ability to perform a job of work or the job of a parent or to mm -hmm. function in society. If I had um, something not necessarily terminal, but very, very serious and possibly fatal, if I had pneumonia very, very badly, nobody would think for a second that I could not go to hospital, receive some treatment, and with enough rehabilitation in some period of time, um, attain a very large amount of my previous health. Sure. Um, I might struggle with breathing. I might have residual asthma. Mm -hmm. um, I might not be doing many Ironman assault courses again in my life. Mm -hmm. um, but apart from that, most other things. So that is what I would hope for, that people yeah. can... I, I, I tend to... I follow that logic, and my, you know... Uh, my little refrain when I have this conversation with people is, you know, if I broke my leg, you wouldn't judge me because I can't walk very far. You know, at the moment, my brain is a little bit broken. So don't judge me because temporarily I can't get out of bed for a bit. You know, um, it will, you know, it will pass. But at the moment, it's just a little bit difficult. Yeah. Uh, are we done with that, Doc? I, I wish I hadn't brought it up. Vis-a-vis -vis the previous topic, I haven't actually managed to edit the last the, the last episode we did. Have you got any corrections, Doc, that, that come to mind? If not, we will just press ahead. Um, well, I am flawless and I never make mistakes. Of course, of course, yes. So um, no, no, no corrections for you. Don't forget, you can contact us on Twitter at Vercast or on email at slatanicvercast at gmail.com. Let's move on to the topic. Um, Talk to me, good. if you will, about your earliest musical memory. Um, I don't have many mm. very early musical memories. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know why. Music didn't impact on my psyche um, very long. Um, I can pin down probably three that happened before the age of 10. And the earliest one I, I can identify as in... Um, something that made me stop and pay attention to it um, was Wuthering Heights by Kate Bush. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, so that Do would we know the date? Close to the end of it would have been close to the end of 1977. Sure. Um, the date is easy to look up. Um, I distinctly remember it being in the summertime. Mm -hmm. um, for people who want to go and look at their references and try and find out the release date, I need to point out that in the provinces of the UK 
um, the release date didn't mean a great deal. Just because a record got released in HMV on Oxford Street um, was no indication of when it was going to get played on independent local radio or when it was going to make its way into the little record shop um, in your small town. Sure. Um, So um, you might not even get to hear of a record for several weeks or months Mm. until after it had been released. I remember this Um, was true about movies as well. I don't think it's true anymore, but I, I certainly remember when I was younger... You know, you would hear, I don't know, the new, the, the, you know, the latest Pierce Brosnan James Bond movie has been released. And it wouldn't be for an, at least another month or even two months, and, and you know, until it hit the, the black country where, 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 where me and, and Dr. Lequestens resided. Then, honestly, I don't think I paid a great deal of attention to music. That was definitely the, the, the first song. Yeah. Um, I remembered. And honestly, I'm struggling for that. After that, I'm struggling for any number of years. Mm. Um, So that's your earliest. So so that qualifies. You know, the the question is talk to me about, well, not the question, the, you know, the, 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 you know, the, the, the topic, talk to me about, about your earliest musical memory. So Kate Bush, Wuthering Heights, would that that be it? Well, it's a borderline cliche because everyone says this about that song. Mm. Um, it sounded, it sounds like something you've never heard before. Sure, which is perfectly true. I'm not going to, I'm not going to say those people are making things up, but obviously, I was very, very young, and when you're that young, almost everything you've heard sounds like nothing you've ever heard before. Mm, that's true. Yeah, um, there is, there is something. Most, there is something quite um, um, <clears throat> elfin about her isn't there there and there is something about that song that is deeply deeply captivating there is a there is a sexual frisson to it that is i think undeniable even you know even as a young boy i found it you know very very alluring the way that she the, the, her voice the way that she dances the way the the, the, the clothes that she's wearing it, it, it is quite hypnotic um, definitely. Um, I think probably, as, as, as I learned much later, um, when you get to find out that she wrote the song when she was 12, mm. um, and I think it was probably 16 when she recorded it. Mm. Um, so it, it's the, the, the product, clearly the product of a, a very precocious mind. Mm. Um, and it's one of those things that even amongst... I suppose, even amongst the unending blur of new experiences and unfamiliar stimuli uh, mm-hmm. that are hurling themselves at you when you're little, um, and you haven't actually been cognizant for very, very long. Um, that's something that, that, that really, really stuck out to me. Sure. <clears throat> um, I think if you watch the promo clip, the impression it makes is something like play along children's television. It has that kind of quality to it. Um, But that's one of the very first experiences you ever have of a larger and more mysterious world Mm -hmm. um, that you don't remotely understand. Mm -hmm. And I credit that song and that particular appearance 
And yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to stick with that. It's kind of like play school for adults. Now, song just for clarification, Doc, are you talking about the like the official video or the like her top of the pops appearance? Um, the official video clip. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm, for, um, for, for, you know, for, for non-UK listeners, top of the pops was you know the the mainstream uh, BBC thirty minute broadcast once a week that, that showed all of the you know the, the the major videos new really new music releases every every single week my earliest musical memory is a band that we've mentioned twice already actually it's queen um and it was the official video to radio gaga now i can't remember uh, in what forum you know, what platform it was being played on. I presume it was something like Top of the Pops. Um, I think that song came out in 1981, which would have made me six years old. Um, and But I remember being absolutely transfixed by it. Um, you know, the, the visuals, the That's music. That's the Slash Australia one, isn't it? Exactly, yes, where they're standing on the stage and giving yeah. effectively like the Nazi salutes, really. Um, you know, or certainly yeah. like a, a um, satirical take on it, you know, um, ab- absolutely majestic. I, I believe that you saw that on uh, Multicolored Swap Shop. Uh, oh, it's, I mean, it's possible. That, 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 that was a Saturday morning uh, kids show, wasn't it, here in, here in Britain? Yes, which, yeah. which I a, watched. Yeah. Um, and because it had the three-hour format, um, they got a lot more leeway um, well, they, they had a lot more time than Top of mm. the Pops. Mm. Um, and when long-form videos, so that the, the sort of mini-movie mu- mi- mini music videos that would become so much a part of MTV when MTV got going, mm. um, when bands released those, um, they would very often play the whole entire seven or eight-minute thing. Yeah. Um, because the, 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 they had this nice uninterrupted... Um, on BBC, so no advert breaks, this, mm. this nice uninterrupted three-hour... And yeah, I'm going to take a guess. I believe it was Multicolor Swap Shop you saw that on. It's 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 totally plausible. It rings a bell. Um, but I I just remember as a six year old being hypnotised by the by the visual spectacle, um, and you know by the by the music on offer. It makes you wonder, doesn't it? You know, did I become a metalhead because that was the first thing that captivated that captivated me, or did that captivate? Did that captivate me? Because I was always going to be a rock kid. It's an interesting question. Are we done, Doc? Should we move on to the to the main part of the show? Sure, absolutely. Okay, welcome to part two of the show. Normally, here we play the track, pause it from time to time to discuss what we are listening to and generally just get our thrash on to a bit of Slayer. But today we're going to do things a bit differently. Let's start with some, now Doc, you're going to like this word. Let's start with some statistics. What do you think? Oh, good. (laughs) My favorite things in the world. Here we go. Now then, 10 songs we've listened to, which comprise the, debut album of Slayer, Show No Mercy. Um, average score taken over those 10 songs. Dr. L, 
gave an average score of 6.2 out of 10. And Mo gave an average score of 6.7. Pretty close, really. Not much in it. No, not at all. Not much in it. Um, now, we have two clear front runners in terms of our favourite songs. And that would be Black Magic, which got a combined score of 19 out of 20. The, the good doctor here gave nine and I gave 10 out of 10. And then the other one was Cryonics, which we both allotted nine to. So that got 18 out of 20. We I mean, we have an absolute stinker in the pile um, accruing just unbelievably just two out of 20. Good, good Lord. And that was the final command. So we obviously we both thought that that sucked. Um, but generally the scores across the board, we, we were quite consistent. Four songs that we agreed on doc, where we gave them exactly the same score. Evil has no boundaries. We both gave seven out of seven to the antichrist. We both gave, we both gave six out of uh, 10 to um, metal storm face. Hey, the Slayer. Are you are you telling me that there's a song called The Antichrist, and if there'd been a third member of the podcast, it might it may have been awarded the score 6-6-6. Six, six, six. It could have. We could well have been. You're quite correct. Um, Metal Storm Faces Slayer, we both gave 7 out of 10 to. And the last one that we agreed on, mm, oh, yes, we already mentioned it, Cryonics 9 across the board, basically. In general, looking at the numbers... The album starts strong, kind of slides down a little bit, and then side two, it's pretty clear that we preferred side two, with the obvious exception of the final command, which we both hated completely. Um, thoughts on those stats, Doc? I've just hit you with a bunch of numbers. Any, any, any thoughts? Um, point number one, um, considering... Um, what we have in common um, in music is metal. Um, we, um, if you were to construct a Venn diagram um, of Mo and Dr. Lequescence, um, the overlap um, would be metal mm -hmm. um, and not a great deal else. I'm not sure um, about that. So I'm, I'm not sure about that, Doc. I'm not sure about that. I like a bit of shoegaze. I like Lush. I like Tallulah Gosh. I like Godspeed You, Black Emperor. I guess there's a ton of stuff that I listen to that you wouldn't touch with a barge pole and probably vice versa. Probably true. Um, given that, um, I'm surprised that um, we had, we've generally ended up in the same ballpark. It's interesting. I would have expected at least one, I would have expected at least one song which I liked and you didn't, and at least one song that you liked and I didn't. In fact, you're quite right. There is not a single song here that I would say was divisive amongst us. No. We either, we either um, liked it or we didn't. And, and, we, and we were pretty consistent in our opinion. I'm going to, before we start reviewing the album, mm. um, there's a bit of scene setting, which I would like you to do here. Mm -hmm. um, can you explain at least as much to me what the state of metal was when this album came out? Um, who was in? Who was out? Um... And you know, just off the cuff, I would say 1983, you're looking at 
you know, heavy metal at the absolute peak of its power. You know, this is this is Iron Maiden 83. I think that would be Number of the Beast, Peace of Mind kind of era. You know, their real, yeah. real heyday. Um, you know, outside of that, in t- I mean, in rock, I, d- I don't really, you know, I don't really dabble in rock particularly, so I, I, I can't go in, in, into that. Um, I think by this point, Metallica had released Kill 'Em All. Um, so you know, thrash was just was just gaining its little foothold. Basically, at this point, it hadn't even been officially named as thrash metal. I don't think it was just kind of you know faster and heavier heavy metal, really, with no you know with kind of no defining title. Um, I think I think this was America reclaiming the rock throne a little bit um, because you know you know I, I think from an American perspective for too long the British had you know had dominated you know be that be that the British invasion in the sixties then glam rock then punk then new album. And thrash was, you know, was, was the first time where, for maybe in two decades almost, where America struck back a little bit and, and, and created a genre that, that changed the, the dynamic of, of rock and metal music. What do you reckon, Doc? Um, I don't see much that anyone could really disagree with there. Mm. Um, there's an interesting side note, and this is as much, this is not me attempting to pick a hole in something that you didn't know. Um, It's me putting my hand up and saying, here's something I didn't know until a lot more recently than I should have done. Mm. Um, It's obviously um, a a sort of fabled tendency of people from the eastern side of the Atlantic Ocean to think of the United States of America or even North America as being a pretty much homogenous entity, which of course that nothing of the sort. Um, North America is a very, very large continent um, and the United States of America is approximately continental sized, and you could consider it to be a continent with fifty with fifty some odd countries in it. <clears throat> the impression that we always got of what was popular in the U.S. famously, of course, derives from the East Coast and the West Coast. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a huge, and um, to me, almost completely unknown, and I'd also better say at this point pile of stuff I'm not really very interested in of 70s and 80s um, hard rock uh, which was popular in um, the interior um, of the US <clears throat> um, there are there are bands whose names um, I hear from time to time um, I was watching a documentary quite recently about um, the guy who runs Interscope Records um, and he was talking about um, how fortunate he was for probably his third or fourth job um, as a solo recording engineer to get the Foghat album and Foghat were probably the biggest band in the world at that time. Mm. And I stroke my chin. Who the hell is Foghat? Foghat. Fog exactly. Yeah. Yeah, um, and they're one of these US only um, hard rock, uh, we'd, we'd call them stadium rock mm. um, or um, AOR, album, either album-oriented or adult-oriented rock bands mm-hmm. um, that had 
little or no popularity outside their own country, but within their own country were absolutely massive. I think, um, I, think um, I think what we're touching on here is that style of music that you only ever hear outside of America. I'm sure you're correct, like in the in the kind of Bible Belt um, states of America, the you know the, the these bands are you know, are well known, but outside of that area, the only place you ever hear them is is on TV and movie soundtracks. It's that sound, isn't it? When, when, when you want to make it clear that you are not in New York or San Francisco or Los Angeles, you're in the internal part of America, yes. you play that music in the bar, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. Um... It sort of goes along with um, the shot of the, um, not the interstate, um, not, not, not the highway, definitely not the highway, the, 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 the route um, sort of going die straight um, with the, the, the perspective zoom over the horizon mm. um, and then probably the, um, the, slow fl- uh, the slow fade to the uh, Miller neon sign um, mm. in the trucker <laughs> bar. Mm. Yeah, yeah, damn, yeah, damn straight. Um, and yeah, that's if if you grew up in on this side of the Atlantic Ocean, um, yeah, that's probably the only place you you, you would ever have heard. Um, as it turns out, this massively broad and massively popular tranche um, of music that was made that was made for U.S. consumption, mm-hmm. um, it would be interesting to find some marketing material. Mm. Um, and find out if it was even marketed outside the US. Sure. Yeah, no, very, very, very interesting. Um, um, do you want to know what Wikipedia says about the um, Slayer's first album? I would love to, yes. Here we go. Show No Mercy is the debut studio album by American thrash metal band Slayer, released on December the 3rd, 1983, by Metal Blade Records. Brian Slagle signed the band to the label after watching them perform the song Phantom of the Opera by Iron Maiden. No surprise there, Doc. We've referenced Phantom of the Opera two or three times as we've been reviewing this album, have we not? Um, Yeah, I mean, uh, there are, I think, kind of three songs on the album that quote extensively from Phantom of the Opera. I mean, quote is, I think, being generous. Um, rip off, I would probably go so far as to say. The band self-financed, self-financed their full-length debut, combining the savings of vocalist Tom Araya, who was employed as a respiratory therapist and money borrowed from guitarist Kerry King's father. Again, something that we speculated on. Now, listeners, you know, we, we did not know this information. I've, I've only researched this for this episode. We were talking exactly about this, weren't we? This album, it was clearly made over a period of time and they were paying for it as they went yeah um i think you raised a very significant point of the 10 tracks on the album um i need to start by saying it's a miracle that it hangs together as an album as well as it does Mm -hmm. because listening to it one track at a time um, and this this was your point, there aren't two tracks that sound like they have any kind of coherence of production at all. I, I think um, I said that. There's a couple of them. Oh, sorry, Doc. I think I said that about six tracks in. I would retract that a little bit because I think the last two tracks actually do sound consistent. You know, I think there is, I think there is a consistency to the production on those last two tracks that we, we did not find prior to that point. 
Um, so this isn't a particularly unusual situation for metal. Um, I don't think um, recording engineers like recording metal. Mm. Um, I don't think generally, I don't think people who own recording studios like having metal bands around um, for better or for worse. People who loan expensive equipment um, will have an idea that they tend to be badly behaved. They tend to drink too much. They tend to not take care of equipment very well. Yeah, um, we've had experience, haven't we, in studios um, where, you know, we've been, you know, we, we've been chastised by the owner of the studio because, you know, we, we you know, we, we, we're putting too much bass through the amp or something like that. You know, it's, you know, we, we, we're somehow damaging the amp by the style of music that we're playing. Yes. Um, and... <laughs> that's almost a function of the very bottom of the barrel, cutthroat, sleazy operations you're forced to do business with when you haven't got very much money. Mm -hmm. Of course. Um, to anyone out there, to anyone out there um, considering renting a recording studio, um, do yourselves a big favour, sit on it and accumulate as much money as you can afford and go to... I won't say the best place you can afford, but the more money that you spend and the nicer place you go to, the more value you will get for money. Of course, of course. Um, if, you have, if you have 200 quid saved up and you can get eight hours in a really filthy, sleazy place, that might sound like a really good idea, but the equipment will not work. Mm -hmm. um, the microphones will be knackered. Mm -hmm. Um, at least half of the cables that you try to use will not work. No. Um, the drum hardware will fall over. Of course. Um, the quote-unquote recording engineer will take it into his head to go to get fish and chips That's right. half an hour in, yeah, and do, you do, won't see him for the rest of the day. Just smoke non-stop. Dr. Ali is absolutely correct. The difference between 200 quid and 500 quid is... You know, it 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 is it's 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 a universe apart, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, even even that difference between um, relatively small amounts of money. I know when you're seventeen, two hundred five hundred quid is not a small amount of money, and mm -hmm. two hundred quid is not a small amount of money. But mm -hmm. what you will get for your two hundred quid is no usable recordings, a really depressing experience, and a de and end results that will probably make you feel like you want to break up the band right now because it, right. is this what it sounds like really yeah. no, you're right let's finish uh, the, the the wikipedia um a summary although the album was criticized for its poor production quality it became metal blades highest selling release so you know our our, our conversations about the the production seems to have been echoed even at the time, but it did not stop people from digging the fuck out of Slayer. There's one other review that I'd like to just briefly touch on, if I could. This comes from something called The Mighty Decibel. Are, are you familiar with this uh, opus, Doc? No, I'm not. Okay, The Mighty Decibel, a website. Here we go. I distinctly remember the first time hearing this release and immediately grasping its importance. I just want to call that out as utter bullshit. I'm sorry, Mighty Decibel. I don't think that's true. And I think you are just self-aggrandizing 
twats. Um, now, I looked at, I desperately tried to find actual authentic reviews from the time. I thought that'd be a really interesting thing to look at, Doc. I can't find them for love nor money. I spent a couple of hours scouring the deepest, darkest recesses of the internet. I can't find a single, you know, contemporary review of this album. Is it me? Google failing, or is this is this normal? Um, I would say it's absolutely normal. Mm. Um, in the present day, when shooting video um, is pretty easy, uh, doing sound recordings is not difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, the equipment to do those things is of far higher quality than I ever believe that I would witness in my lifetime. Um, it seems almost impossible that. Um, a band as important as Slayer um, would have no early video footage, would have no live recordings, would have no reviews. There's nothing remotely un- uh, unusual about that at all. Um, I spent probably around about eight years of my life and what I did, my social activity, um, which was where I met my friends, where I met new friends, um, and I got up to all my bad behaviour, um, I went to see bands and that mm-hmm. was what I did reliably at least two out of three of Thursday and Friday and Saturday night every week for about eight or nine years. Mm -hmm. I have long since lost count of the bands I saw. Um, If I strain really, really hard, I can probably name 40 or 50 of the bands I saw during that whole period. Mm. Statistically, um, looking at some of my flyers and because of their extremely dense touring schedule, um, I probably saw Oasis twice. Right. Um, there's um, because before they were famous, their work ethic was so monstrous. Mm. Um, they toured constantly. Um, they played every toilet in the country, and when they'd finished their tour, they started another tour. There's mm. no way I could have avoided them. If I saw them, they made no impression on me whatsoever. So, <laughs> I mean, in terms of there's at least one band I must have seen very, very early in their career. Um, and um, I suppose I should have seen signs of future greatness or mm. something. Mm. Um, not I, even like Oasis. I know, I know of one where this is true, Doc. And you, because you saw Nirvana pre Nirvana, if you know, if you understand my meaning and you talked to yeah, me absolutely. about them and you kind of gave them a very kind of a very middling review and then and then six months later they exploded you know um now here's the peculiar thing um i i can't remember whether it was i, I saw them supporting dinosaur junior or mud honey mm. um i want to say mud honey um and i believe that was that was probably at the foundry and they were very very middling mm-hmm. um you will notice um, when anyone chooses to talk about what a great band Nirvana are, and once again, my, my, my opinions are neither here nor there. I think that the record of history speaks for itself as to how much affection and how much enduring um, support they've received over the years. Um, almost nobody ever talks about their live show sure. <clears throat> because unless something happened, unless something happened in those six to eight months, their live show was not very good. Mm-hmm. Um, they were 
indifferently enthusiastic performers. Um, despite only being a three-piece, the engineers seem to have real problems um, getting any kind of separation on the instruments, mm -hmm. considering that they were at least no noisier than whether it was Dinosaur Jr. or whether it was Medhenny, considering they were definitely no noisier than the band they played with that night. Mm -hmm. um, the band they played with that night um, managed to produce a much better live sound. Here so, again, though, Doc, we um, have an example of six degrees of Kevin Bacon, because, you know, Mudhoney supported Slayer the first time I ever saw Slayer play live. My God, it's such a small world, isn't it, man? Goodness me. Yeah, how about that? <laughs> What we're going to do, we're going to listen to the intro of each track, track by track, chronologically through the album. And then we're just going to fill in any blank. So if, if you've had any thoughts in the meantime, Doc, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I've, I've listened to the album since we've, we, we, you know, we've, we've reviewed the songs. If you have any further thoughts, we're going to keep it brief. Um, you know, just to, we'll chat for two or three minutes after each intro how's that sound doc yeah absolutely let's go let me like let me crank up the old uh, gas machine here here we go So there we go. Evil has no boundaries. Any memories? Any thoughts? Um, yeah. So um, if we sort of rewind right to the start of this uh, this journey, um, and we're, the, the, that we're currently still in the foothills of mm. this, this this great trek, mm -hmm. um, I believed. I said right from the beginning that I didn't think early Slayer was going to sound like this. Yeah. Um, when I put the album on again, I've, I've left the album alone as we've been dealing with it one track at a time mm. over the last few weeks. Mm. Then um, when I went for exercise this afternoon, um, I put the whole album on a portable recording device and listened to it from one end to the other. And even though I was primed for it this time, um, it was no less shocking to me. Um, I'm going to cut the guy from the mighty decibel the tiniest bit of slack. Okay. Um, I don't believe that the first time he heard this, he realized its massive importance. Mm -hmm. If someone was to say to me, the first time I heard this, um, it was one of those records that didn't sound quite like anything else. Mm -hmm. um, earlier on, I said, when people talk about hearing Kate Bush for the first time, they always say it sounded like nothing they'd ever heard before. I don't think you can say this about this album um, no. because a lot of it is a lot of it is cut and paste from good stuff. They're good thieves, they're good copyists, but a mm. lot of it is, is is cut and paste from some pretty obvious sources. But I do think it would be possible to hear this album for the first time and think, this is different. Sure, sure. Okay, I accept that. Maybe I was being a bit, a bit mean. Um, that review irritated me though, Doc. So I just wanted to give him a bit, a bit of a slap. Um, for me... Oh, I understand why you did that because uh, what the chap was saying is uh, whoever that is who, who made that review um, is clearly saying um, 
admire me because when exactly. I was twelve, exactly, um, that was my point. He, he, he's not he's, he's not cutting the the band any credit. He's cutting himself credit. That's what I didn't like. Um, yeah. For me. It's just a, it's just, you know, it's just a balls out um, rocking thrashing way to start the album. Just just absolutely fabulous. Let's move on to track two, the Antichrist. Here we go. <laughs> rock and roll isn't it really for a track called the antichrist it's quite kind of bouncy and upbeat isn't it really oh definitely mm. um so we spoke about this um i believe at the time as well um there is almost no way that you can have a track called the antichrist <laughs> and, and expect it to be taken completely seriously no, but, but it's very jaunty it's very jaunty you know, it's called the Antichrist. Oh, definitely. You can imagine like girls skipping through corn. Yeah, definitely. It's, um, but then, um, isn't the Antichrist like, um, supposed to be the one of, um, the process church's four gods? Is, isn't, uh, um, isn't, um, Lucifer the Antichrist, um, supposed to be sort of in charge of all of the good the good times the levitus activity and the skipping through cornfields and i suppose so yeah yeah i think you're um, right yeah you know the the um anton levay is it anton levay is that the right name anton levay kind of uh principle of satanism is you know every, every positive thing is 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 the the work of satan and everything evil is the work of god the devil yeah 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 um Yes. Any, any fresh thoughts from you, Doc, for, for, for track number two? I was going to say I must stop flogging this horse, um, but I don't think I will stop flogging the horse because I can't make this point enough. Um, the album completely confounded my expectations or my mm. memories mm. or my expectations of my memories when we started listening to it a couple of months ago. Um, and even on the re-listen today, it confounded my expectations again. Sure. Um, it's just one of those things that I think might, with a couple of exceptions, will probably still come up fresh and surprising. Mm -hmm. um, there's a thing, there's, there's a comment I want to follow on, and I believe I need to follow it on directly after the intro to the next track. So would you mind? Well, let's, okay, yeah, let, let, let's drop it right now. Here we go. That's it, it's a short one. Go on, Doc. Things that keep coming up fresh and exciting. Um, I believe what Slayer did on this album um, was, we've already said, um, they're good thieves. Um, their influences all come from pretty obvious places, but good places. Mm -hmm. But I think what Slayer were doing on this album, they were the first people to mix um, such a wide diversity of very diverse influences. Mm -hmm. um, if you're the kind of band who knocked off Judas Priest, it wouldn't be unusual for you to be the kind of band who also knocked off Iron Maiden. Sure. Um, but if you were the kind of band who knocked off Judas Priest, I think it'd be very unusual to also be the kind of band who knocked off Venom. It's that mashup, isn't it? It's that mashup that makes them distinctive. Um, 
and it's what yes. it, you know it's, it's what gives them their evilnessnessness isn't it you know um they have the melody well they have the melody of maiden they have the the twin guitar attack of priest and the outright evil chord choice of venom and you smash those three things together and 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 we get slayer and what a joyous thing it is yeah i think that's probably about right um I still have to come back because even at the end of the first album, it's an issue that's unresolved for, for me. And I want yeah. your opinion on this. Um, I've mentioned this once again, at least three times before. One of the things that you know about Slayer is quote unquote, Slayer were one of the very first bands to draw influences equal, equally from um, British heavy metal and US West Coast hardcore. Sure. I, still, I still can't spot the hardcore influence. Mm. Um, there's a couple of moments there's a couple of moments there's there's some song structuring early on in the album that sounds like it could come from Black Flag Mm -hmm. Um, there's a a drum part around about here on the album that sounds like it could come from Crass or Conflict Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. Discharge Mm -hmm. Um, and then a bit later on there's some incompetent but very very fast guitar playing I think um, it gets frankly come from I think it gets retconned into their history post Raining Blood. You know, as we explore <clears throat> the next couple of albums, I don't think you're going to hear any hardcore on Hello Waits, the next album, either. But I think, mm-hmm. I think, your, your, I think your hardcore ears are going to start twitching when we get to Raining Blood. That's my prediction. We'll see how it goes. Hey, Doc, what do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Here we go. Next track. Now, neither one of us particularly like this song, and, and I can kind of hear why. It's a, it sounds a bit flat, doesn't it? It's a bit boring, really, in comparison with, 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 with the other yeah. stuff on the album. Um, it's, um, it's not as pyrotechnic as the first few tracks, mm-hmm. and if what they think they're doing is going balls out for speed and aggression, mm. well, then they don't quite pull that off either. No, no, no you're right. It, 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 we gave this a combined score of nine out of 20. You gave it a four and I gave it a five. We obviously weren't impressed. And instant impression there. I mean, that, that that's one. I would just hit skip pretty much straight away. It just sounded tedious. Um, in the olden days... Um, albums frequently ran longer than 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. I think this one does. Um, and this when is you're about, this is about tape, oh, sorry, fact, fact, fact check here. It's about 35 minutes, show no mercy. Okay, so that, that would all fit on one side anyway. Um, if you had an album that was going to overrun one side of a tape, you mm-hmm. would always be cruising for a song that you could ditch. Sure. A song that you could... You could you could lift the needle off the album and move it forward. So when you were making a tape to go into your bag to listen to on your portable cassette player, um, you wouldn't have to have an album that bled over two sides of a tape. Of that would be the typical song that 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 you would leave off. I think so. I mean, there, there's there's two clear 
um, on this album, there you know there are two clear skippables, aren't there? Which is this one and the final command. I think they're you know I think for both of us they're the tracks that we would we would pass by. Let's listen to the title track effectively, Metal Storm, Face the Slayer. <laughs> I need to pause it just for copyright reasons. I don't really want to, because I just want to listen to this fucking song. My God, it's, it's absolutely fantastic. I think I massively underscored this, Doc. I think this is the one where I look at my scores that I gave and I think, Mo, you got this one wrong. Because I only gave this a seven. So let's contextualise it. For the style, for the sound, um, nine or ten would be... Hallowed Be Thy Name, mm. or The Number of the Beast. Mm. Um, and it ain't that good. Oh, I don't know. It I is don't know. Really. I don't know. I, 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 the, more, the more I listen to this song, the better and better it gets. Um, I remember at the time, we each lost it a couple of points, and I think you couldn't resist marking it down a bit for um, the um, the Rob Halford impersonations. I think you're right. And I think, you know, I mean, I, you know, I haven't gone back and listened to what, what we were specifically saying, but I, I think I also marked it down a little bit for not really being a Slayer song, for kind of being a Maiden track. Um, sure. And, I mean, it's definitely true, but, but, but I feel now, now that I'm more familiar with the album, you know that would not be that would not be a, a you know a, a point deduction for me now. Um, I think I, I think uh, I was harsh. Do you, feel, do you feel you can approach it with uh, the eyes of a more mature man now? Absolutely right. You're right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's enough. I know we're not, we're, not, we're not really meant to be playing the songs, are we? I'm just having fun. And that song is so brilliant. Let's move on to the next one, which is Black Magic. Copyright pause. Let's continue. I mean, 
I, I just don't think it gets much better, Doc. To be honest, I gave this the, the you know the, the the magical ten out of ten. I think I was absolutely correct. I think you were unnecessarily cruel and evil by only giving it nine out of ten. You miser! <laughs> <laughs> it's sensational stuff. Black magic, my slayer. Fuck me. Thrash doesn't get much better, mate. It really doesn't, mm. and it succeeds in so many levels. Um, it's one of those great um, fulcrum songs, and there are mm. a few of them on this album. Mm-hmm. Um, where, if you like, you 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 have you have the past and the future balanced perfectly. Um, they're a band rooted in the past with an eye to the future, and they mm-hmm. have an understanding of both. Yeah. I think you're quite um, right. Yeah, you, you 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 can see where they're coming from and where they're going, can't you? It, all at once. Yes. Yeah, I think you, I think you're quite right. It's it, it's it's sensational stuff. Um, okay, the title makes us think of a box of chocolates here in England, but that aside, it's absolutely sensational. Let's move on to Tormenta. Hang on, are we in Bradford? Is that anathema playing? What the fuck's going on, Doc? It certainly could be, couldn't it? Yeah, um, it's crazy. It's, um, it's also got things that you will later hear in another... <clears throat> um, for those of you who can't remember, uh, there's an amusingly recurrent trait, uh, which is just going to keep on embarrassing me. Very early on in the series, I had to say that I didn't like doom metal very mm. much. Almost every episode, I seem to end up making a reference to some doom metal song or other that, that I absolutely love. love. I know you. It yes. turns out, it turns out, Doc, you're the greatest doom metal fan on the planet, despite your own protestations. Um, did I mention that I once owned um, a brown suede jacket that I painted Venom on the back of? <laughs> I remember you banging on, waxing lyrical about fucking St. Vitus. You don't like Doom? Go fuck yourself, Doc. Let's move on. <laughs> Let's move on. Final command. <laughs> I mean, it just makes my, it just sets my teeth on edge instantly. It, it, it's not too bad to begin Pete, with, is it? Pete, Pete, they're on the wire. Pete, they're on the wire. I need a flare. Give me a flare over here and give me some cover. I'm going over the wire. I'm going up. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Flashback. Yeah. It's, it, it's it, um, you know, it doesn't start off too bad. It's obviously Phantom of the Opera. As we've already said, Phantom of the Opera kind of worship. It's just that it's that third escalation, isn't it? It's it's totally unacceptable. I don't know what the fuck they were thinking. Um, it's it's dreadful, Doc. It's absolutely dreadful. It's a perfect storm of everything that could have gone wrong. I was prepared for ten final commands mm-hmm. going into this album. Mm. Um, I think I'd steal myself 
Um, and I let my guard down, and that's the reason it packs such a mean punch when it sneaks up on you like that. The production is horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, the lyrics are horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a whole bunch of things, any one of which wouldn't have bothered me, but they all arrive in such a perfect storm, and it sounds so lackadaisical, it sounds so slovenly. Um, the only possible explanation, and it's not a good one, um, is that they really needed a tenth track to finish the album, so yeah. they went scavenging around, I suppose, all of the recordings they'd made, um, and out of the rec- a bunch of recording sessions, you might record 15 tracks, of which you immediately decide that three are unusable. Um, there's eight or nine that are really good and you really want on the album, and then you're looking for filler. Yeah, I think you're um, right. I think you're right. I totally agree. This, it does feel like uh, desperation. And that's the only explanation I can come up with. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I fully, yeah. fully endorse yeah. your position there, Doc. Um, cryonics. Funny, isn't it? How, how two tracks that you know you could kind of throw the same accusation at can be so different because this is made in worship too, um, but it could not be more different, could it? And um, this track is a big part of the reason why I ended up hating the final command mm. so much because uh, the afternoon before we were due to do the recording in the evening, um, I listened to this track mm. and I listened to it again. Oh, yeah, and then I listened to it again, <laughs> and then I listened to it some more. Yeah. And when I eventually got to find out that we weren't going to be reviewing this great track... <laughs> that was my mistake, wasn't it? Yeah, I, 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 I fucked the order up, didn't I? It was my mistake, I remember. Um, yeah. I could have checked. Yeah. I could have checked. That's true, that's true. Um, but, 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 but we did a similar thing because I too... Li- I, listened to, I listened to this song and then I listened to it again and I literally put it on loop effectively for an afternoon while I was cooking... I just couldn't stop. I could not stop. It was. It just. It blew my mind so much. Again, I feel this is one that I underscored a little. Actually, now I say that I underscored it. What score did I give it, Doc? I gave it a nine. And I think that maybe it should have got. It should have got a ten for me because it's. It is. It is. It's perfection. It's brilliant. I should have given it a ten, Doc. I don't know why I didn't. Um. Once again, we're. I'm conservative about stuff like this. I think we're too early to start handing out tens. Mm. Uh, I mean, there's a couple of tracks that we're going to come to later, um, which are amongst the 10 or 15 songs I've heard ever, ever, ever that I will give 10 out of 10 to Mm -hmm. from Mm -hmm. any genre, from any period of time. Um, There's a few of them. And before handing out a 10, I would have to do some really serious chin stroking and try to think to myself, you know, Am I really putting this track up alongside spoilers? Um, yeah. Or, um, you know, am I am I giving this a score um, that would mean that it would have to displace something else in my top twenty songs of all time, regardless of genre or artist? Exactly. Is it fire starter? Um, you know, is it fire starter? But that, that, that's generally my rule of thumb. Is it as good as fire starter? Sure. 
that's you know, that, that's my measurement. I think this is actually, if memory serves, I, I, I docked it a point because there is one interlude of new album nastiness that I that I didn't really approve of. Um, <laughs> is the Halford whale in it? I, I, I don't remember a Halford whale, um, but 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 there's a bit of uh, new album. Um, Hmm, kind of weak, trebly riffage going on, which I which I did not like very much at all. I think it's one of those kind of ee, ee, ee kind of new album moments, which I frankly have no truck with. Doctor Liquescence. <laughs> <laughs> Ready for the last song? Here we Absolutely. go. Show no mercy. just something about this song that really gets my pulse racing i love i love that chord progression i love just that kind of full throttle double strumming on the on the low e string it's 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 it's, it's just a it's 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 thrash and i like thrash doc sure um i've got nothing because we, we only commented on this really quite recently and I, I i've got nothing to say i don't think um that i didn't say then which mm. is that um to me i i I know you dislike the expression statement of intent. So um, I'm going to say it's what it's, it's one of those eye on the past, eye on the future songs. Um, If the previous track was an elegy for the style that had been summed up by this album, um, this track is a, a bit of a preview um yeah. of what's yeah. coming next sure. i've come to think of this as not so much a um an album in its own right but a a, a sort of tidying up i think this is the kind of thing that nowadays most bands would release as a <clears throat> demos and unreleased collection mm. um a bit later on in their career it doesn't feel like an album to me. It feels like um, a, a collection of early demos and self-funded singles. And some stuff is better done than others. Some songs are better than others. Mm. But what gives it a bizarre coherence is its complete lack of coherence. Mm-hmm. Effectively, what you've got is everything on this album, the whole range of styles, the Nawabum, the punk rock, um, the American HR all of those influences that went into the mix on this album, you have them swirling round like demons in a vortex, mate. Oh, yes, like, like a From Beyond album cover. Yes. <laughs> yeah. uh, swirling round like, like <laughs> demons in a vortex. Yeah. And being funneled in towards that last but one track, mm. um, which which closes the door, which which, which closes the portal. It, sure. it, it closes the portal. Mm-hmm. Um, on, on that vortex mm-hmm. um, and then like a Clive Barker character the face on the back of your head looks in the opposite direction and opens another portal with that oh, final God. track 
Oh, God. It opens another portal into another vortex. Oh, Christ, Doc. You're scaring the shit out of me. <laughs> yeah. Good um, Lord. The difference being, of course, that the first vortex has got blue demons in a green vortex. <laughs> and the next one you look into has got brown demons yeah, in a pink vortex. That's right, yes. It, and that's it's, the difference. it's the Mandela effect. We all know what it is. We all know what's going on. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. <laughs> well, so, you know, that's the musical overview of the album done, really. I think we'll draw it to a close there and we'll just do a final part. Summations. Welcome to part three of the podcast, which this week we're calling Summations. Um, You've already touched on it briefly, Doc, but talk to me, if you will, about the overall flow of the album. What did you think? I want to say immediately, it doesn't have one. It doesn't feel like an album. It feels like a collection of odds and ends. Yeah, I agree. But firstly, in spite of that, or maybe even because of it, it does have an odd coherence Mm. in its own right. Mm -hmm. I think it harks back to an era where it was acceptable. I don't think this is true anymore. It was acceptable for a band to experiment with a very large diversity of styles and lots of different song types within the space of one album. I think nowadays bands run a great risk of shedding a good chunk of their audience if they change their style greatly at any point during their career. Yeah, interesting, isn't it? Yeah, In, in Flames are, um, are a good example of this. I don't, I don't know if we've mentioned In Flames before on the podcast. I'm a massive In Flames fan. And, you know, I would put them in my three favourite bands. Mo, who are your favourite bands? It's Slayer, Maiden, In Flames, in no particular order, really. Um, I love In Flames dearly. And I am one of the unusual ones who has not really abandoned them, you know, since they changed style somewhere in the early noughties. I still like them, man. And I don't care what people think. Um, but, but, but they certainly lost a whole swathe of their original fans. But at the same time, gathered a tranche of, of new fans, you know. So, you know, you, you win some, you lose some, I guess. Sure. But I'm going to ask, do you think it would be, I would say acceptable. Mm. Um, that's a horrible thing. That's a horrible expression to use. Do you think it would seem odd nowadays for a band to make a debut album um, that doesn't have a clear style throughout? Mm. Um, I know at some point in the mid nineties, um, the particularly the European extreme metal record labels, um, began this sort of extremely aggressive and to me hilarious taxonomy. Um, So I presume it was possible to, um, in theory, go to a record shop and say, uh, can you direct me to your uh, blackened death doom um, with orchestral parts and female vocals? Oh yeah, sure, sure. And the man, and the man would be able to direct you to that. <laughs> and the man would be able to direct you to that section. Yes, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. But, but, but you know, thrash, or, or, or kind of the heavier, kind of 
heavier but not not quite death metal aspect of metal has has always kind of had this tendency i'm thinking about um two bands well three bands really in particular i'm thinking metallica i'm thinking pantera and i'm thinking anthrax well maybe anthrax less so but certainly you know if, if you listen to metallica's you know classic era albums there is no consistency of style between the songs you know they are a mishmash of heavy kind of rock ballads there's some straight ahead thrashers um you know you've got some kind of melancholic stuff in there they're definitely not uniform in style pantera i think is is, is another good example their most popular album not a band i particularly like personally but obviously very very popular and their most commercially successful album was uh, clearly vulgar display of power um and if you you know if you listen to the first six songs on that album after which by the way it falls off a fucking cliff um but every track is stylistically very very different um again no consistency so it's i think this is kind of almost like par for the course for this for, for you know for the for the musical territory that we are in actually and yet the peculiar thing is isn't it everyone in the world who isn't a committed fan everyone in the world thinks they know what all metallica songs sound like mm-hmm. and pantera too everyone thinks they know what all pantera songs sound like yeah um and it's it's interesting that um, both of those bands, obviously in their own time or in in within and of themselves, very very popular. I mean, mm-hmm. stupidly popular. Yeah, for certain periods of time, mm-hmm. um, have embraced far more styles than they're popularly known for. Mm. Um, and I, I would say more than Slayer, really. Um, you know, as much as I love Slayer, and I would put Slayer above both of those bands hands down, I think they are far more diverse than Slayer ever have been or have, have ever really tried to be. Can we agree on this then? What what the album has as a consistent whole is nascence. Mm-hmm, I agree, yeah. One might even say fecundity. If I had to give a very short summation of this album to someone who was curious and who'd never heard it and wanted to know whether or not they'd like it, mm. um, I still think I'm going to have to say... Um, if you think you're going to get rain in blood, um, you're not. No. But um, what I've changed my mind about is you're not going to get rain in blood, but you're going to get an album that will leave a little bit, leave you with a little bit of a pang of regret mm. because you will end up wanting to know what the world would have been like uh, if there'd been another Slayer who'd stuck to that style. I like this Does that idea make any of yours. Sense? Yeah, no, you've mentioned this as, as, as we've gone through um, the 10 tracks, this idea of. Um, like a parallel universe where Slayer didn't abandon their kind of New Album roots. Um, You know, they didn't go full thrash and darkness and instead they kind of stuck as kind of maiden copyists effectively. And I I do like this thought, um, you know, of of, of them becoming like the American Iron Maiden, really. Um, Where do you think it sits in terms of debut albums, Doc? You know, if, you know, if, if if I think of great debut albums, I'm thinking, 
you know, Guns N' Roses. I'm thinking uh, the Prodigy Experience, you know. Um, what else can I think of? A great debut album. Um, mm, help me out, Doc. Um, you see, it's a really interesting thing. Um, both of the ones you just mentioned, I would put as examples of um, nice to have, glad they exist, but that's not the album that you know the band for. So in, in, the, um, in terms of GNR Lies or The Prodigy Experience, mm -hmm. um, those Guns are Roses, the albums that I would... To, 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 to prevent you from receiving an influx of corrections, GNR's debut album was Appetite yes. for Destruction. Lies was the year after. Was it yes, it was. Lies was the year later and was almost a contractual obligation, which is why it sounds so inferior. The sort of borderline proto-jungle um, nosebleed hardcore um, is not my reason for wanting to listen to The Prodigy. Mm -hmm. um, I couldn't care less if I never heard Charlie Says again. Sure. Or everybody in the place. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I'll keep go I'll, I'll keep going back to music for the Jilted Generation. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> so that's a nice lead-in, which is that I characterise debuts <clears throat> um, in two distinct categories, which is um, the initial rush of blood that the band never quite really touched again after that. Very very typical of bands who are either on a wave of hype or have um, unwillingly been pushed to the front of a wave of hype. Um, and they shoot their load on their debut album and they never get enough time or they never get enough motivation to produce anything that good ever again. The Strokes comes to mind for me. The Strokes, the Strokes first album I think is, is great. And everything I've heard from them since bores me senseless, to be honest. I'm thinking Oasis yeah. maybe is another another example of this. Um, you know, they, 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 they never recapture cigarettes and alcohol or champagne supernova, do they? Um, well, no, because, I mean, you, you get the songs on that first album and they still sound bratty and obnoxious mm -hmm. and they still sound um, the product of people who are not yet bored to tears with what it is that they're doing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I, I think it's a, a, a bitter irony. It's an irony that's even hinted at mm. all over that first Oasis album, which mm. is, you know, what, what, what do we do when this, this is what we want. This is what we've been working for. This is what we've been trying to get so very, very hard. Now what's going to happen when we get bored of it? Mm. Um, and as a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy, well, we, we get to find out what happens when they get bored of it really, really quickly. We get to find out. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we, um, you, you become massively, massively wealthy and bored out of your fucking mind. And then my other category of debut albums is um, the ones that you can kind of almost ignore because they're so unfinished or so unrepresentative of um, a band in the state that you love them in. Mm. Um and this is cheating a bit, but there exists a officially never released quote unquote first album by Joy Division that they made for RCA. Um, it's not very difficult to track down a, a, a bootleg of it um, nowadays. And if you listen to it, you will end up thinking, um, 
after hearing a band that sounded like this, how in the name of goodness did people like Tony Wilson and Martin Hannett ever have the foresight mm. to realise what pearls there were to be mined out? Because it's it's the most turgid, generic, not even punk rock, it's the most turgid, generic pub rock um, you've ever heard in your life. And that's, that's, that's incredible suppose, to think, actually. You know, Joy Division, one of my personal favourites, you know, something like Transmission by Joy Division is sure. in my, you know, that's, that's top 10 track of all time for me. It's absolutely sensational stuff to imagine that, you know, that, 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 you know, that they came from such, you know, kind of me, some, such mediocrity that you're describing is, is actually difficult, difficult to. It's really difficult to believe, mm. um, and there's, there's a version of Transmission on that unreleased debut album for RCA, which mm. I kind of advise you to go and listen to, and I kind of don't, mm. um, because I, it's it's one of those things that makes you realise that there exists in the world genius, and I don't possess it, because whoever it was who listened to that thing or who saw that band and who realised what there was that could be mined out of them... Mm. Um, with some time and some patience and a really good producer. So that's my definitive example of the debut album you can you, you can ignore. Uh, uh, I had in my so, own mind. So where does where does Show No Mercy fit? Do, would you say in this kind of spectrum that we're talking about? I had firmly chalked it up um, as a debut album you could easily ignore. Yeah, and. Um, I'm having to maybe hedge my bets on this a bit now, but I still kind of have the opinion that Hell Awaits is the second album mm -hmm. um, you can maybe cheerfully ignore. Mm. Um, if you want to know what classic period Slayer sounds like, yeah, I think you can ignore it. Um, I think you can chalk it up as juvenilia. Mm -hmm. um, a great word, by the way, juvenilia, but, a great word. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. um, I specifically went out of my way to find out um, if there was a um, an opposite, um, or not exactly an opposite, but a, a, a thing from the opposite end of the age spectrum. And I don't know if this is a word or not, but um, it was decided by me and some of my friends that it should be Gerontonilia. Well, I was thinking, uh, well, I would, I would say it with a soft G, Gerontilia, but that was exactly what I thought in my head, actually. Yeah, like a, yeah. Like a Geron, I would say gerontophile. Maybe I'm wrong, maybe it should be gerontophile, but I would say gerontophile, somebody who likes to have sex with old people, effectively, you know? Sure. Yeah, so yeah, gerontophilia uh, makes sense to me. I like it. I like it a lot. So, Shana Mercy, <clears throat> you're saying you can kind of ignore it, but there seems like a dot, dot, dot there, dot. Well, it, um, but it's such great fun. Mm. It's a really good album. Mm, mm. Um, it's if you want to understand that the biblical canon of Slayer, um, you can ignore it and you won't be missing anything. Um, you'll be missing a couple of good songs. Well, you'll be missing um, Black Magic for Christ's sake. Yeah. Um, so I still have ended up thinking of it as almost the work of a completely different band. Mm. Um, it's still a band I like, and I think it's a really good album. And oh my goodness, I've enjoyed it many, many more times than I expected to. Sure. I, I really wish I could say um, you can see the beginnings of classic period Slayer, but 
I don't think you can. Mm. Um, I think what it is um, is an a very engaging, almost lovable um, collection of early demos, cheap studio recordings, songs that would later get discarded, songs that some songs that would get discarded and then rehabilitated, and yeah. a, a few songs that would be continuously beloved. Listen, I think we've cracked on for far too long as it is. Um, seems to me we both really enjoyed this um, exploratory um, step along the Slayer back catalogue. I agree with you, Doc. I've enjoyed this album far more than I expected to. Um, you know, I, I discount, I'd effectively discounted it and, and, and just for, almost forgotten about it. I've really, really enjoyed listening to it. I think with a couple of notable exceptions, it's, it's great. And there, and there are a couple of absolutely ball-blazing classic thrash tracks on there. I think it's, yeah, I, I, I would recommend anybody go and listen to it. Um, we'll draw a line under it there. You can contact us to tell us why we are wrong on Twitter at Vercast or via email, uh, slatanicvercast at gmail.com. Next time, Doc, now I haven't told you this, and I wonder what you think about this. Um, I think we're going to look at cover versions of the first 10 tracks in Slayer's back catalogue. So we're going to, I'm going to dig out some different bands doing cover versions of all 10 of those tracks before we move on to the to, to, to the EP, which I think comes next, which is Haunting the Chapel. What do you think about that as an idea, Doc? It's a great title. It's a brilliant idea. Um, yeah, it's a brilliant idea. Thank you, sir. I, I'm, I'm glad you approve. Um, and that's it. We're done. See you later, motherfuckers. See you later. See you later.